Just yesterday in the car, I was listening to a podcast, and I learned a new Latin phrase, and since I'm always trying to find ways to make myself sound smarter than I actually am, lex simper accusat. Lex simper accusat. That's a new Latin phrase I learned yesterday. Any guesses as to translation? The law always accuses. Yeah. So I take it you've heard that, Mike. The law always accuses. This is from the Justin Sinner blog. I did a little research into this this morning. The statement, lex simper accusat, is used in a very specific context. It appears in the Lutheran confessional documents in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession several times. Here's what sh- one such example of its use. Quote, the law worketh wrath. He does not say that by the law men merit the remission of sins, for the law always accuses, there's that phrase, and terrifies the conscience. Therefore, it does not justify, because conscience terrified by the law of God flees from the judgment of God. Therefore, they err who trust that by the law, by their own works, they merit the remission of sins. That's probably the most famous or the most obvious use of the law, at least as I've come to understand it, this idea, and I use this on Sunday, that the, the law that Jesus gives us, the most important things we could ever do, they really press down onto us. I mean, loving the Lord our God with everything we are and our neighbor, even our enemy as ourself, it, it does accuse our conscience if we really let it, if we sit and think about it. And yet part of the podcast yesterday Um, was discussing whether there are more uses to the law, whether um, after believing in Christ, the law can have a different function. And even in the Lutheran understanding of the law, it does. So here's another quote from some Lutheran formularies, the epitome of the formula of Concord. Since the law was given to men for three reasons, it says. First, that thereby outward discipline might be maintained against wild, disobedient men. It would restrain crazy folk. Secondly, that men may be led to knowledge of their sins, and that's kind of the classic move, the realize you're a sinner, run to Jesus for salvation, that's part of the law. But here's the third. Thirdly, that after they are regenerate, after the Holy Spirit has worked in our hearts to make us new, that we come to faith in Jesus and we receive and start living life in Christ, then... They might, on this account, on the account of the law, have a fixed rule according to which they are to regulate and direct their whole life. It's that third use of the law that I'd like to just briefly meditate on in light of the psalm from this morning, this past week as well. Because the psalm has this dynamic in it of a very high view of what human life should look like. But it also has a very hopeful view of what human life can look like look like. See, we can conflate those and get things mixed up, but if we carefully delineate them, then we can realize what we're supposed to do with the law. Psalm 119, blessed are those who are undefiled in their ways, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep their testimonies, that seek him with their whole heart. Again, these these totalizing phrases sound a lot like, love the Lord your God with everything. And yet, It's true that when we actually start doing this, walking in the Lord's ways, keeping his testimony, seeking him with our heart from the inside out, from the regeneration that is his gift, that is the blessed life. It's what everyone's looking for, even if they don't 
know it. It's the happiness that they desire and long for that can only be found in life in Christ. The blessed life is to walk in the ways of God. But still, the the psalm totalizes even those who do know wickedness, who walk perfectly in his ways. You have ordered your precepts, the psalmist says to God, that we should diligently keep them. And then the psalm, and it'll do this every once in a while throughout this long Psalm 119, it, it takes a break from addressing God in these ways of talking about what he requires, and it, it prays directly to him. Verse 5, Oh, that my ways were made so direct that I might keep your statutes. See, as, as much as the psalmist wants to keep the law of God, he knows in the very background of his mind, that the only way he can do that is if God himself answers this prayer. God, give me grace, we would say, to do what you want me to do. If my ways were made, notice that language, made so direct that someone else, something else has to come and do it. We can't make it ourselves. Then, he says, verse 6, I would not be put to shame. Well, I gave heed unto all your commandments. I will thank you with an upright heart when I have learned your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes, but do not forsake me utterly. The only way we can hope to keep those statutes, to live this blessed life, is to remain in constant dependence, relationship, connection to God, that God would not forsake us. That's how it can be done. And then again, it returns to this high view of life Humanly lived in God's way. How shall a young man keep his way clean? By ruling himself according to your word. There are some great parallels with ancient philosophy here. That part of the good life, the blessed life, is to have a properly ordered heart and mind and soul. That everything is in its proper order. That your passions, your desires, your your feelings, your impulses, we might say, don't rule over your rational mind. And we all know what that's like, I think, to have a passion or a desire, just kind of outrule something that we know we should or shouldn't do. So that we would rule ourselves how? By an objective standard, by the word of God, by something that he gives us as revelation of himself and his will. And then the psalmist says, oh, with my whole heart have I sought you. And then again, that prayer, oh, let me not go astray from your commandments. Who's, who's primarily acting there? It's God. God is the one who will keep us from going astray, not ourselves. Your words I've hidden within my heart that I may not sin against you. Part of this connection to God that we, we have to maintain, that we must maintain, that's only maintained ultimately by Him and His grace, is that we keep the word within us day by day that we actually sink it into our souls, that it becomes part of our inner dialogue, you might say, between us and God. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me. Another prayer, teach me, God, your statutes. And then it comes out of the heart. With my lips I've been telling of all the judgments of your mouth. It's eventually we can't help but talk about the glory of God, about the gospel, about how he's changed our lives, about what he's doing in our lives. I was so blessed Sunday morning by Mike pausing and asking, what do you have to thank God for? It's not something I'm very good at. It's not something that I do particularly well, but 
Um, it's something I've been more and more aware of over months, of God actually doing things that I've been praying for. Hallelujah. And feeling for over decades that they're not, those prayers aren't really working, that, that it's never really going to come around. God really isn't going to be interested in giving me what I desire. But when he says, right, set your, your heart upon him and he will give you the desires of your heart, that he changes those desires and then ends up giving you what you want because what you want is, in fact, himself. That we can't help but talk about the glory of God. And then that produces this continual enhancement, continual depth of relationship with God, an inward delight and an inward desire. I've had greater delight in the way of your testimonies than in all manner of riches. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his mercy and grace. I will meditate on your commandments, have respect for all your ways. My delight will be in your statutes, and I will not forget your word. That's the blessed life. The kind of life that we're given as a gift in Christ if we are regenerate, given faith, brought to him empty-handed, receiving all of his righteousness. But it's also the life that grows in us by his spirit more and more so that we come to want, to do, loving him with everything we are and loving neighbor as ourself. May that be more and more a reality in our lives and in the life collectively of this church.